0: Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coop Cast. As always, I'm your humble host, Coach Jason Coop, and this episode of the podcast is the third and final in a series of podcasts that I am doing that is all about how to find, how to leverage, and how to take advantage of physical therapy which is one of the biggest tools i think an ultra runner can add into their arsenal on the podcast today is nat collins who's a doctor of physical therapy as well as a certified strength and conditioning specialist i have been on nat's table more than any other physical therapist that i've known in my coaching career but more importantly than that nat has always indulged my myriad of questions that i've had for him all about the physical therapy modalities that exists in the universe out there. Those of you that listen to the podcast with Jessica Lehman and last week with John Chow will come to appreciate how many different types of modalities and treatment options That physical therapists have. And I wanted to bring a little bit of that out throughout this conversation with Nat. I think you will find that he pulls no punches. He really offers an insightful view on all of these modalities, what you can use them for, what the history of them are, what you shouldn't be using them for, and quite frankly, if they're junk or not. And that's what we are all about trying to find out. So with that as a little bit of a backdrop, I'm gonna step right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Nat Collins. When I sent you the outline, the first thing I could think about is, is like, how many people are we gonna piss off?
1: I don't know, man. You're gonna piss off somebody always. <laughs> You're going to piss off people by trying not to piss somebody off. Like, well, why didn't he? He should have gone further there. Mm-hmm. He I, should have said more things. Yeah,
0: would would I, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I could take the statement back. But what I would want to recreate is some of the conversations we've had when you were sticking needles in me. Yeah. Because those are actually pretty good because we're just trying to like pass the time on what inevitably is a little bit painful. And you have to be super precise. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. So, so... Th- that's the interesting thing to me is uh, th- that it's even a hot-button issue at all. Like it should not be. It's not in other countries at all. Seriously? Yeah. Like Australia, they don't do this. They don't have these pillow fights about everything. <laughs> Canada doesn't do this. Canada even used their, their physios use the term acupuncture, medical acupuncture, for a long period of time, and it wasn't an issue at all. Seriously? But here it is. And the places where you would feel like uh, – medical management is the most progressive those are the places where it's not even legal like the west coast Washington, Oregon, California. They can't do it legally.
0: You know, it's funny. So yesterday I'm recording This is probably gonna be third in the whole series, right? Yesterday I recorded with a really good friend of mine. I don't think you've you've met. I've known him since junior high school and um, He's a DPT and, uh, he has his own clinic out in Santa Monica, a super successful clinic called the matrix clinic. And he and I were talking about this exact same thing. Like, why is, has this not crossed into like California's borders? He's like, it's just so litigious yeah. that yeah. they're afraid to take the leap because of the risk reward associated with correct that type of practice correct. or that type of mode.
1: Yeah. And they've seen what's happened in Washington where i don't know how long ago this happened but Kineticor, who is one of the the leading educators for dry needling techniques and certifications in the US they've now partnered with another group i can't remember who uh, evidence in motion they were teaching a class like at puget sound or something i'll get that wrong and so it was another group 15 minutes away but the acupuncturist saw what was happening there Uh, probably saw that it was getting pretty close to their turf, worried about it financially, and sued them. (laughs) And I don't know how much money they bled out trying to fight that. That's the thing. But they lost it. And the same thing happened in Washington with physical therapists there can't perform manipulations unless they are directly trained underneath a chiropractor. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I don't know. It it all seems like it's about money. California, you you would think that they are not that litigious about everything, that they'd be a lot more open, like Colorado is. Most states have put this into their practice act by saying they're not going to put something specific into their practice act. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I can remember when dry needling was first approved. Is that the right word even, approved? Like approved for practice? We'll but go probably, with that. It's probably something <laughs> We'll like go with that. that. <laughs> it was first approved as a modality in, in the state of Colorado. Recognized. Recognized. There we go. And inevitably what happened is every clinic started the, this rush to get somebody within their practice certified. Yes. And it almost like it became the de facto thing. Like you would walk in and they just start throwing needles at you. In fact, I, here's a funny story. And I think I've told you this before. Um, there's a clinic right next to our, our office at the time yes I know this clinic that um, was one of the f- they might have been the first in Colorado or one of the very first mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they brought all of our all of our coaches in because it was a new thing we wanted to do some continuing ed you know let's kind of like learn about it and things like that they brought all of our coaches in and we were like you're gonna do what like you're gonna do like what huh like <laughs> of course we don't know because we're not in the inside like we're gonna do what and so the the, the practitioner there, said okay i'll i'll show you guys how how this works do we have any volunteers and like everybody got alligator arms at that time right they just kind of like full yeah (laughs) they just kind of fold it up so i was like okay i'll do it like i'll do it She's like do you have any you know went through the stereotypical do you have any this do you have any that i was like whatever she was gonna do something on my calf or my gastroc or something like that
1: yeah roughly didn't
0: and and you know (laughs) To set this up a little bit more, they're just coming out of their training, which is extensive. We'll go through that with what that training is in a little bit. They just gone through that training. But in terms of having like live bodies outside of training, I was probably like one of the first. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to demonstrate this to what was a group of about 25 people or so, 25 like onlookers or something like that. And so she's she's going through the whole thing and she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. Here's this needle. It's super little, you know, you look at it and it's not, you know, it's it's totally benign looking and I'm sitting there on the table and I don't know what happened from one minute to the next, but I had this excruciating pain and literally jumped off of the table. Like that's how, like that, and it probably made it worse because I jerked up so much. Right. Right. And I just turned to her. I was like, "What
1: the f was like? What the f was that?" She's like, "I did something wrong." <laughs> yeah. I, well, she shouldn't have probably started there. First of all, because you're an endurance athlete and all the vascularity, she's going to hit something. Yeah. And, and it's going to feel really sharp. So that's probably what happened.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it. But anyway, I guess my point with that is, is, is like I've seen dry needling as a physical therapy tool start and you, and you you've seen it obviously you know more abruptly than i have but on the patient side of things being i feel like i was patient zero on that one particular case well, i just mean like <laughs> trying
1: to sell it like we we just have not done a good job that's one example and i don't mean like you shouldn't have started there like that's a bad place to go because endurance athletes have problems in the lower extremity and you got a needle there sometimes but just to show people what it's like and that it's comfortable maybe you know, go in the glute, start with some butt stuff first. Uh, but the the term dry needling is stupid, just from like a branding standpoint. Like, it doesn't sound comfortable.
0: Yeah, right. So where did it start, though? Like, okay. what's the, let's go back. Like, what's the origin of this? Because ultimately, it came into physical therapy, but it, it started, obviously, way before that.
1: Right. It, it's debatable when it actually started, but I think in its, you know, kind of the modern form... It was in the 40s, this physician, Janet Travell, who actually was the doc for JFK, um, she was involved with a lot of research in wet needling, which is what we know now is like essentially pain management or injecting like a steroid or another substance into an area for pain relief. And to do those studies, you have to have controls. And the control is to stick an acupuncture needle in the same area. And they found that...
0: So something with no juice behind
1: it, essentially. There's no fluid behind it. Yeah, dry needle. Yeah, right. They found that just sticking the dry needle in there gives pain relief sometimes in the same way that dropping a steroid is. uh, Getting people a little bit of relief. So that's where that started. Um, And also, it it was involved with just kind of mapping the, the areas of referred pain when you put a needle somewhere. There are extensive maps of if you drop a needle here, here's where it causes pain elsewhere, or here's where it relieves pain elsewhere. That's kind of how it started. And then it's evolved in different ways in different parts of the country in different parts of the world. Um, It it just depends on the kind of the, the belief that you have about what you do with a needle. I think it's probably the same thing with acupuncture. I know there's different branches of it there, but the way it's used primarily now Uh, I think in, in the physical therapy community is to either treat a trigger point, which is to go into an area that feels tight, painful, causes, causes pain elsewhere, causes pain locally, or to help stimulate an area in a way that you can't with superficial uh, neuromuscular stimulation.
0: And so if a physical therapist wants to bring this into their Arsenal of things that they can use to treat people I know it looks different state to state but Can yeah. can you kind of like paint that picture because it's not as easy as oh, I'm just gonna buy some acupuncture needles and start You know studying anatomy there you have to go oh. through
1: you have to well, maybe
0: it is as simple as
1: that <laughs> I, No, uh, no, and they would never say that. Oh my god, uh That would ruffle a lot of feathers so that first of all, they're not even gonna say that they're acupuncture needles um So that the process is this you have to be certified and licensed as a physical therapist in your state in Colorado you have to be out for I think at least a couple of years so you have uh, to be
0: practicing for a couple of years you first. have to yes okay
1: yeah and the standard now pretty much is that you have to have a doctoral degree there's some people you know practice 30 years ago to have a bachelor's degree but for the most part you've gone through undergrad you've gone through a doctoral program you've been out for a year or two depending on the state then you go in and you take your level one class. And I think it's 30 hours in person plus some time outside of that environment. You can start with low level treatments for a few hundred hours. So like glutes, hamstrings, things that you're not going to get into too much trouble, uh, if you run into something that's out of the ordinary, then you come back for second class, then you do things that are a little bit more consequential. Uh, Such as needling around the rib cage. Okay. So, thoracic paraspinals are the muscles that are around your rib cage, where if you miss, you can puncture a lung. That's really rare, but they make sure that you are rock solid before they, they certify you. So, doing things around the rib cage, around the head and neck, actually into the foot, into the hand, making sure that you know nerve and vascular maps really, really well before they certify you.
0: And is it the same like
1: uh,
0: certifying body or overall body as
1: physical therapy, or is no. it like a subset of it? They're not a subset; they're a different entity. Totally altogether. different entity.
0: So, so to get it, to get accepted into this entity, you would preferably have a DPT, be practicing for two years, and then you can kind of like just stay in that channel, essentially,
1: for the most part. It. These certifying organizations, uh, they're different from state boards. What the state boards will do is take a look at what are the requirements of a different core of of these specific courses and make sure that they line up with the scope of practice of physical therapy. And for the one that I did, it was under kinetic core. I had to be there for two separate weekend classes that were, I think about a year apart. I had to needle I don't know how many hundred patients in between. And then I had a formal practical test, but I had, I don't know how many hundred hours of practical three-dimensional uh, topographic anatomy before I even took the class. Mm-hmm. And that's the, I think the beef that a lot of acupuncturists have with physical therapists doing this is like, well, they just took a weekend class and they can stick needles wherever they want mm-hmm. to. Well, that's not, that's not true. Uh, th- there's a lot of intensive training um, before you even start the, the the practice, um, yeah, I, I think that it's way overused. Well, we can, I mean, we I'll can prob- talk about- yeah, I, I know, I know that we'll get into that, but, um, yeah, we we can talk about that right now because, uh,
0: whenever you invest, when any practitioner invests in a new skill. what well, happens in running. It, ha- it totally happens in running, right? You start running the incline, right? Yeah. Right behind my house all the yeah. time. And then all of a sudden you get really good at it. And you're like, shit, I want to do the incline because I'm really good at it, right? <laughs> and it's, th- I mean, it's the same thing anywhere. It's the same thing with any practice. And especially with something that, I mean, you get, fairly direct feedback from this type of mode. You're sticking a yes. your needle in and there's some sort of, a, you know, there's a release of hormones that go that happens almost immediately. The patient can feel sore almost immediately. They can feel good almost immediately or maybe even the next day, as opposed to a lot of other modes that take, that are like more chronic adaptations, right, as Correct. opposed to acute. And so it becomes this like, or I've, I've felt that it becomes this kind of like chronic reinforcement loop where it's like, yes, this tool can do everything, you know, I can kind of like, and so that kind of points to your overuse
1: point, you know? Right. Uh, for every condition, for everything, it, it, it has specific applications. Uh, whether it's a diagnostic tool, like it elicits these types of symptoms or it improves these types of symptoms, it's completely dependent on the athlete, on the situation, on their phase of healing, on whatever it is. Like, it shouldn't be used with everybody. It shouldn't be used for 20 times. It shouldn't be something that somebody goes in for, you know, like regular maintenance with it. So who are the good candidates for it? It completely depends. I don't think that you are one. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Your pain response. Oh, really? I think that it, some people, their neurological systems are a little bit more wound up. You're trying to say that I'm a wuss? Or no, to say that not I'm a wuss. at all. <laughs> You're, tu- just, you're You're way I'm, tougher than I'm, I am. I'm, I'm hypersensitive to needles. You're way tougher than I am.
0: <laughs> I don't doubt that. It's it's
1: your it's your body's response to a you know a point two five millimeter needle, and I think it elicits more of a pain response than it it downregulates anything mm. else. So if, if people come in and they say I've had a friend that's had this, it really helps with their like ITB syndrome or their Achilles tendinopathy or something. And you look at them and they're white knuckling, talking about the idea of a needle or they're sweating through the sheet. Like, look, we are going to find something. There's something else that can do just as good of a job. It's in the research. There's some people that do really, really well for me, for my rotator cuff or for an issue with my hamstring. Needling is fantastic for me, but for somebody else, it's just not going to do well. It's about their body's response to it.
0: It's so is it more individual versus specific injury or is it both? It's both. Okay.
1: There are some things that we know that there's okay evidence for good evidence for and just terrible evidence for with needling just as a whole, like you're not going to go into the plantar fascia with a needle to treat that. This is just a terrible idea. It's not going to help anything. That's great F evidence. That's in all the physical therapy journals. You're not going to do that. So no needling for plantar fasciitis. Into the plantar fascia. So I'm not going to say that you're not going to do something supportive that creates a therapeutic window like treat the soleus or the tip posterior or something else while you address mechanics, footwear, all that other stuff. I think... that it just it depends on the situation there are some things that it's more of a slam dunk for than anything else like what? so what's a, what's a prototypical slam dunk uh, i think uh a lot of times we we over diagnose iliotibial band syndrome or patellofemoral pain syndrome as it's actually a muscular condition and it's not related to the joint or the tendon insertion it's it's more due to muscle overuse or like a really hard workout or somebody's who's overstressed and needling the glutes or the distal quad or, um, you know, closer to soft tissues, closer to the knee is, is, is helpful. Those are really useful. And they're are areas that they don't have a really rich neurovascular bed. Like there's just not a lot of nerves and big blood vessels there. Those work really, really well. They do the same kind of the dry knee area that um, foam rolling will do. Yeah but it's a lot more pointed yeah. and you can run stimulation right to that area. So I think those things work really, really well.
0: What else? So as an athlete kind of goes into a clinic, right? Mm -hmm. And how, and, and a physical therapist has this as a tool. Yeah. How can they help the physical therapist know if they would be a good candidate for this or not?
1: I think they just tell them what their symptoms are. And then the, the physical therapist should be able to piece apart whether this is a good candidate. It, I think, uh, the acuity of the, of, of an injury really matters. Uh, the severity of that injury matters. So if it's something like a mild strain, it's helpful. If it's something like a really nasty strain where there's local bleeding, not so good. Yeah. Like a high grade strain, you're not going to needle that. Yeah. Um, it, cause, some, cause it, some athletes will have this, the, they'll, they'll just have this
0: impression. Oh, my friend's so-and-so had this injury, they went in, they got needled, I'm going to go in and ask for a request for that same yeah, type, yeah, of, that that same type like,
1: of treatment. Yeah, like a la carte treatment, yeah. right? Like people want that. It, it just depends. I think low-grade strains, uh, things where there's mechanical overuse or people like their running pattern just kind of dictates that they'll get a little bit more worn out, like in a calf or their glutes or they're a little bit more quad dominant or something like that. It can help with those things like gives people a nice therapeutic window and like you get some relief here. You do some strengthening. It'll help with those things. But I, I don't, I don't know that there is, I don't think that there's a flow chart for what makes somebody a good candidate for mm. this. I do know that somebody that is really hypersensitive, they're a little bit wound up. They don't do well with needles in the past. They've like passed out when they've had a shot. Like you just take them off the table right away. <laughs> Who also might not be a great candidate, even though they can tolerate the treatment, is somebody that just wants you to beat the hell out of them every time they come in. Yeah. Like the people that want grassed in, and they just yeah. want to get bruised. They just want you to like inflict maximal pain all the time. Like they're they're gonna get something out of the treatment, but I don't know that it changes what they need to have it change. There has to be pain in order to get the gain. That type of mindset, right? Like. Why do we want to propagate that cycle? Yeah, exactly. I don't want that weirdness in my clinic. Okay,
0: so I guess I guess the point is, is for the people listening out there, is it's an effective tool in some use cases, you can rule yourself out if you're already adverse to needles or you have a high degree of pain at the area that you're going into for. Yeah, if
1: you're hypersensitive. If you've had a bad experience with needles in the past, you're you're probably out, like repeatedly bad experiences with needles. I did have one person a while ago that, like a, an acupuncturist, and this is not to dump on acupuncturists, but this one person saw somebody with foot pain and they jammed a needle like right in their web space between their big toe and their second toe. And it freaked her out yeah. for years, like a decade. It, we kind of brought her back into the fold and she just had some Achilles issues. and She got a lot, lot, lot better. Um, so I think there are things you can pull it off the table, but if people do reasonably well with needles, they are okay with low-grade pain. Uh, they're willing to do a little bit of exercise right after Mm. and they're going to use it as something that provides a therapeutic window and they're going to take advantage of it with either exercise, stretching, modifying the running volume, making other modifications. Yeah. Yeah. I do alright. Do you think that area
0: of practice is going to like expand or contract or just kind of start to find a norm? Because I already went through the. You'll find a norm.
1: Yeah, it's it is yeah. it's hyperinflated. It, it's it's like NormaTech boots or trigger point <laughs> stuff or CrossFit. Um, my God, uh, all these things just blow up. There's a meteoric rise and then they kind of level off. I feel like it's really going to find its niche. The research is weird right now, but I I think it'll it'll kind of level out and be where it should. Yeah. In 2010, 2012-ish, it was way overused. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it was I, like ART. Yeah. Oh, same God. Same thing, right? Yeah. ART, it
0: became so prevalent. Yeah. And everybody wanted it. Bate, everybody. Pete Manning. Yeah. Pete Manning That's gets right. ART. Yep. yep, Oh, my God. I got to, you know. It's all it takes, man. Some money. Cupping. Some, Cupping. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Cupping had the advantage, though, that it was visual.
1: Oh, right. the so, Olympic athletes yeah, had it. Can yeah, videotape the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. There's like a seminal moment for those things. Exactly. So, oh yeah. man, we're going down too many rabbit holes. Uh, that's right. you,
0: you mentioned the next rabbit hole, so we'll pivot over to that. Graston. right? Yeah. So this is this is something that I feel that a lot of endurance athletes are drawn to because there is a pain response typically associated with it, and they're yeah. like, okay, I can feel something happening versus you know, the banded glute walks that they do that just feel so trivial, right? So let, let's kind of take the same pattern that we took with dry needling with
1: Graston. Okay. Where did it start? Who are the candidates for it? And we can go from there. Graston, and I honest to God, I, I can't make comments about Graston in general because I don't I, I don't know that brand. Uh, they're kind of a behemoth. There's tens of thousands of people that are certified in use. I think a lot of them are chiropractors uh, initially, but they are they are their own entity. Graston, I think they have a trademark. They have this you know arsenal of tools yeah. that are their own that are I think super expensive. And essentially, they they use stainless steel tools where other people that use a similar treatment um, you can just get these on Amazon now. They're like fifteen bucks. It all falls under underneath this umbrella of an instrument assisted soft tissue massage. the idea is that you're going to compress, vibrate, rough up, bruise the hell out of, do something to cause a change in tissue quality, local blood flow, anything locally. I don't know how that started. I feel like there's been some version around it for a long time. Uh, It has evolved to where it's pretty ubiquitous. And I think like you said, in the the endurance community, People get rid of their feel bad feel bad stuff by doing more feel bad stuff.
0: <laughs> I like that quote. A lot of I'm going to use that. The time.
1: But it's controlled. It's passive. It's just like oh, somebody else is doing this to me. Uh, now I can pass the baton. And there's visual evidence a lot of a lot of the time. Like people get bruised yeah. in the area, and you do you get a response, and it seems to last a little bit longer than you know, like foam rolling or trigger point stuff. I th- I think that. That one will really calm down uh, as far as uh, like the excitement about like Graston in general or ASTEM, depending on where you're at in the part of the country. I think they're a little bit, ASTEM is a little bit more famous like Pacific Northwest because now unlike needling, needling, you got to go see a practitioner. You got to go see a PT, Cairo physician, somebody else you can go on Amazon and buy one of those things for 15 bucks. That's what yourself. I wanted
0: to talk to you about. So
1: is Which that is awesome? Is it awesome or is yeah. it dangerous? No. Uh, well, it could be dangerous depending on the person, but I think that's going to be self-limiting. I mean, you can't screw yourself up too badly, right? Uh, yeah. One. You to <laughs> leave it to
0: a bunch of ultra runners, man. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> but I,
1: I will, I'll, I'll walk into the, you know, the local shoe store and there's always somebody just like hammering yeah. away on their Achilles. Exactly. The and I'm like, I mean, that's cool. Like, I don't know how long you want to do that. Um, I don't know how dangerous it dangerous it is. I, I love the stainless steel ones. I think they're actually pretty useful. They're probably not useful in the way that it's uh, described, like in, in the literature from these official companies, like that it vibrates more in an area that's more painful or there's more of a problem. You're using it diagnostically in that, yeah, in that sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that we have figured out that scraping an area whether you do that just kind of like dry or there's actually lotion or something underneath that you're running that tool against that area it changes some things neurologically it changes some things with blood flow it's probably pretty acute you're probably not causing like a permanent change there so it's gonna let you do something else so you're not worried about the people that are buying these tools for 15 dollars on amazon and digging into their achilles tendon No, unless they go on Instagram and tell other people how to do that.
0: But people are doing that, too. That's the thing,
1: right? (sighs) God. I don't know. Before Graston, it was like spoons. I saw people literally doing this with like a spoon. So I I don't know. It's kind of the next dumb thing, I guess, to do that. I'm not too worried about it. I haven't seen anybody entirely screwed up with that, the way you could potentially see somebody screwed up with like, like a dry needle or... Doing blood flow restriction training the wrong way, like that can cause some legit problems. Um, most of these modalities, these little things, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna F yourself up too bad with that. You're probably just not gonna help yourself. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the more dangerous aspect.
0: Of okay. It. So, who, same question as we went through with the dry needling, who are the good candidates for this?
1: I think pretty much anybody, depending on uh, where the injury is. I think it's great for. Areas that are smaller that you can't foam roll or do like a trigger point on. So like around your toes, your ankle, things that have less soft tissue underneath them. So like kind of around like the plantar fascia where there's not much muscle there. Or if you've had an ankle sprain and it gets sore and there's not much you can do besides like tape it or just lay off. I think it's great for that kind of stuff. Um, the people that it's not good for are people that ha- are pr- really prone to bruising. Maybe you have some issues with like iron cycling. Um, have some more chronic pain issues, uh, people that have sensitivity issues, or or are hypermobile. I don't know if it's good to go in and beat up an area if your joint already has like a ton of laxity there. Mm. I can't put any research behind that, but I just I question the, the use there. Can you can you
0: describe the state of the research on that particular mode?
1: It's all over the map, Jason. Really. Yeah.
0: It's re- so I think first off, it's important it's important for everybody to understand. I always have to remind myself of this. With any of these modes, it's very difficult to have a lot of high quality evidence and that's because yes. th- what you're testing for is very problematic to have or you can't at all have a double blind placebo controlled trial for. Right. And so when we're looking at things where that is either extremely problematic or doesn't exist in the first place, you automatically have to like downregulate how you treat the rest of the literature. Right.
1: I think it's one of those things where you can, you can use it more to rule out than you use it to rule in. For us in the PT community, it probably isn't going to do us any favors because it's going to say that these things are less useful than they probably actually are. Yeah. So you're not going to get that reimbursement, and that hurts patients. It yeah, yeah. hurts athletes trying to access this stuff, like in the hands of a professional. But I think it's it's the research is probably going to do more good for ruling something out than it is to say like in this instance, it's great. I think in those cases, you actually can go more by the anecdotal stuff. Hmm. If it's somebody you feel like you trust, they're smart, they do their research, they've tried different things, they use it appropriately, and they're not just a junkie for it. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: well okay that's actually a big difference right if you yeah. if you're in the hands of a practitioner that is that's using a variety of tools yes. or using other practitioners within their you know kind of within their reach or within their practice to get the best treatment for a patient Versus a practitioner where they kind of be like they're trying to like they're almost like a one trick pony. Yes. And they're using all of the weak ass evidence to justify either it not being harmful or slightly helpful. I think yes. those are two completely different situations. Totally,
1: Yeah. It, if you see somebody that does the same thing with everybody. Maybe even especially if they are one of the people that is an educator for it. You should probably maybe like rethink your process. Mm. Right.
0: That's really interesting. I'd never thought about it like I that. I mean, if
1: you go in 5, 10, 15, 20 times a year. It's the same thing. And they're doing the same damn thing to fix the problem. But you still got the problem. Now it's kind of on you. You see the same thing with manipulations. Like, like Oh, God. And there's a reason for that, Jason. And that's because a manipulation causes this really acute, uh, certainly evidence-based response that makes people feel better. It's a central response. And guess how long it lasts for about the amount of time it takes for you to walk out of the clinic, drive home, and feel (laughs) a little bit better. And then what do you do? You go back again and again. But at some point, it's not just the feel good from the manipulation. Are you hypermobilizing the area? Like, is there more laxity? But there's a reason that that works. And it's the same thing with a lot of these treatments. Almost all of them, uh, needling in some cases, Graston or this IA stem stuff in some cases, blood flow restriction, anything where you compress or relieve a tissue. There's a short term evidence-based effect, but it doesn't fix anything. Right. It gives you a short window where you feel better. There's a reason that people use it. Yeah.
0: Why do a lot of physical therapists kind of fall into that single use trap? And, I, and, and to, to b- before I piss everybody off, Physical therapy is one of the tools. In fact, it's probably the biggest tool that I lean on as a coach. Yeah. I'm always searching for good physical therapists in every area of the country that I can send my athletes mm-hmm. to because yeah. running is just such an injurious sport. As much as I try to, you know, load manage and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's just gonna happen. But I'm always on the I'm always on the lookout for good physical therapists that can diagnose what's going on, fix what's going on versus doing the same thing kind of over and over and over. And I, I personally get frustrated when I hear stories or reports from athletes who go to the office and they get the same treatment yeah. every single time for 20 weeks, yeah. and I almost want to bang my head against the wall. What? Why Is that a distorted version in my head, or does that actually happen a lot?
1: It happens. Why? God damn it.
0: Uh, it's almost – I mean, they, I will, we do that in coaching too, right? You see coaches who just prescribe the same thing
1: for every athlete. So maybe <laughs> – I, I will defend – clinicians of all types and I'll defend some some coaches first if you have a thing that works if you have a trick that works even if it's for a short short period of time then I can see why people would continue to use it just from like a self-preservation standpoint if they've got a thing that makes people feel better or can help them I can see why they do it so there's that Why they continue to do that, even though there's so much evidence to the contrary, like that you should be branching out, not throwing the same thing at everything, like, you know, not, (laughs) you can't look at all problems the same way. It's on the clinician, it's on the coach to try to find something that specifically helps that athlete over a period of time that includes more than just the next 30 minutes to 48 hours because then you're not helping anyone
0: so maybe that's the key for athletes is to look beyond the hour after the, the fix
1: yeah and i i don't know if that's not just a societal issue yeah who yeah, yeah. though is like a passive short-term thing i mean for god's sake we had who was it that was repping advil at the race series oh years? it was iron man yeah it was a leave actually a leave yeah yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, I wrote an article
0: on that. Yeah. in Triathlon Magazine. Yeah, a guest article.
1: Yeah, so it, I, I think part of it is just the mindset uh, of the country. Like, well, just the people, right? You like you you want to feel better, and so you find a thing that makes it a little bit better. Um, and so I can see why people do it. It's just it's a little irresponsible not to say like this is part of a larger framework where I'm going to do the work now. We're going to help you feel better enough to, to get you going. But then this is a collaborative effort that eventually I hand off to you, but it takes active maintenance work. It takes some actual thought about what's happening and it takes diagnostics on your part and thinking about what's happening, happening throughout a training cycle throughout the next two, five, 10, 15, 20 years of your, your life um, or your training to, to ensure that you're doing the right things to get better and to continue to feel better, not get injured. You can, like the injuries are going to happen. I mean, what, what's the injury rate in runners right now? Seventy uh, yeah. percent annually. It's, I think we're probably gonna not going to get rid of that. No, we suck at not being injured. Like this is I, I this is know. what continually frustrates can, I don't. I don't. And I'm not. This is not a uh, defensive posture on on my part as a physical therapist. Um, I don't know that we're going to get rid of that. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I think it's just the nature of the sport. I just keep just how we manage I, it. I just it keep looking
0: at this is this is you'll find this really interesting. I keep looking at all the whole recovery industry. Oh dude, from it's the bonkers. Normatec boots to nutrition to everything. All of the research that we've done on strength training, all of the research that your colleagues have done in physical therapy and other modalities. And In the endurance community, we really haven't been able to move this injury needle all that much (laughs) with all of this stuff coming up. And so the only logical conclusion is conclusions are either A, none of that stuff works, or B, we're not using it correctly. Or maybe there's some confluence of people are just doing it more, like people are just training more, and then the recovery modalities are keeping (laughs) things par. I mean, I guess that's the third option, but – it's really hard it's once again it's really hard to look at the vast proliferation of all of these things that are supposed to help athletes stay out of an injury state and recover and we still have such high injury rates. You can't look at that as as
1: success. Is the rate going to stay the same, but what's under that umbrella looks different. I don't know. Like the severity of the injuries is different, what we quantify as an injury is different. Here's what
0: I would say. If we could move it to half, yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, success. We've done a good job coming up with stuff, education, yeah. modes, treatment options, recovery, this, that, or the other. If we could move it to half, I'd do a backflip. Like when I – so I track – I told you this before – I track the injury rates with my athletes, and I try to stay under 33%, a third. So a given year, I coach 40 athletes. If I can get you know, 12 of them or something like that, if, if only 12 of them have an injury, and I define that as is they lose one day of training due to an injury, if I can get that less than about 12 or 15 out of 50, I consider that super successful. And I think that's wildly successful. Yeah. I've only been able to do that like half half of the years that I've been coaching.
1: It's really hard what have you been able to get rid of? Like what things have you been able to kind of suppress from an injury standpoint? Um, so one thing is the duration. Yeah. So I've built out,
0: and this is part of the, the point of the series of this podcast is I've built out a professional network of orthopedic people, physical therapists and things like that. So that from the time something starts to pop up with an athlete, I can start to deploy resources to get them into treatment quicker. And so a two-week process then now becomes a one-week process or something like that. Yes.
1: yes. So I think that's where all this goes is I don't know that the rate totally goes away. Mm. If we get to 50, that's fantastic. But if we give people enough of a knowledge base, which is something these short-term, like one-trick things don't do, they don't advance that. If you give people enough knowledge to know, like, these kinds of things are going to happen – can you manage it on the fly and it's less than a 24 to 72 hour window that it's really limiting thing. And even with that, there's still something else that you can do aerobically metabolically from a recovery standpoint, from some other standpoint that you're still generally improving and like moving the needle the way you need to. If you can do that, then I think we're successful. I don't think we totally get rid of injuries, but I think we can change the way they impact people Hmm. and their severity. And we keep people from getting to the point where they're not, because they're not using these things, because they're not just taking NSAIDs or something else, where they don't totally blow up. Yeah, I don't think that we do that by chronically treating people with these short-term fixed things. I think we actually make them worse because they take away the warning signal, and that's one thing that I think can be dangerous when you put them in the hands of either kind of an ignorant athlete or an ignorant, ignorant clinician, is when you take away somebody's symptoms but you don't give them any knowledge about how they're supposed to fix the problem you may make this a whole hell of a lot worse like you might ruin somebody's career yeah here's
0: the thing though that gets really tricky with that <clears throat> is that sometimes
1: you've got to get them to the start line and oh, I know that. deal I with all that, that shit I like i've done after that. that i've done that i've
0: not, and I'm not trying oh, to encourage people to go like short-term thinking, like just get to the start line. But there are some yeah. situations, and typically, what happens this is this is actually what happens from a training standpoint, right? You're try, you're trying to confluence the highest training load mm-hmm. somewhere near the end of the training process, right? Somewhere near the taper and things like that, and that's typically the t- the time frame that has the most risk associated yes. with it, yeah, and consequently, they're going to get injured more often during that time frame. Yeah. And so when you've got four to six weeks, that's not long-term thinking, that's short-term thinking. Like, what do I need to do to get on the start line? And you've asked me this question, when's your next race? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So do you tailor treatment towards that? Like, when's your next race? Is it two years from now or is it two yeah, weeks from now? I do. Now? <laughs> and what's the priority?
1: Yeah. Hell yeah, I do. I mean, I never thought uh, coming into my career, which is you know a decade now, that I would make some of the decisions that I make where I'm like, God, this person's really close to having a full-blown stress fracture or something else. And I'm like, how important is this to you? And I'm not going to do anything that's irresponsible, but it's not my body. I'm making decisions to help somebody else do what they want or need to do. Sometimes this is a paycheck for them. Yeah, Like this is to help their kids. And it's it's different When you're not fixing a problem that's chronic, uh, potentially being irresponsible by just doing short term fixes and trying to keep somebody duct taped together well enough that they can get there. Well,
0: duct tape is the literal word sometimes. I mean,
1: (laughs) seriously. I mean, everyone go read Fix Your Feet. Now, uh, those things are different. Uh, But I think a lot of
0: times the athletes, they'll, and you have seen patients like this. I know you have. Athlete comes in four weeks out from a race, Nat fix me. You go into, and, and it works, right? right. Some, some, sometimes races have this miraculous way of either suppressing or fixing an injury. I see this all the it's time with athletes. It's really weird. But, but important to this conversation is, is they're like, ah, oh, Whatever I did no. right before, no. th- that, but that's the psychology that happens, right? Whatever I did yes. beforehand, that was the key. So I just need to apply this short term fix all the time and then it propagates itself. Yeah, Yes, down the this road.
1: anecdotal study with one person yeah. one time is me. now the universal <laughs> that's the most, rule. That's the most important <laughs> it's anecdote. The me. universal rule. Th- weird things happen with injuries. Like I remember even you in Leadville in yeah. 2019, like, man, the first 50 miles this thing would not go away, and then it I just shook it. Yeah, It's weird. The first Leadville I did, I didn't know whether I was going to make
0: it 10 feet, 10 miles, or 100 miles. Like, mm-hmm. literally, I was on the start line. I was like, all right, well, right, we're going to see how this... I, I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, it's weird. I, I Nobody's say, been able to explain it. to I, me. I will say this.
1: I think as long as people consider the short and long-term effect of the decisions they're making, I'm okay with going anywhere for them as a clinician as long as I'm not doing something illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've done things like, God, I would never do this for myself. I think you're an idiot, but this is really important to you. There's money on the line, so we're going to go with it. Well, it
0: goes back to the individual nature of the athlete. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of times um athletes will look to everyday, what I'll call everyday athletes, um, will look to the elite and the professional athletes as some kind of guidepost for something, whether that's training or this person is a sidekick influencer and yes. now I'm gonna use that and things like that. And what they fail to realize is the risk taking proposition is different when it when your job is on the line
1: right you can't take a look at people that have to hit their absolute anatomical physiological mechanical limits as the standard i don't think you can do that elite professional athletes have to go there and they have to do it repeatedly in cycles progressively four years to make their money that's how they make their living and the mindset is different i can't remember I've, I've heard this quoted so many times i don't know if this is real but i've heard there's a study out there somewhere where they pulled olympic athletes and asked them if i gave you a drug that would guarantee a gold medal but you'd die the next day would you take it yeah that's a really famous study yeah so that's real yeah that's okay a really so you can't, you can't that can't be your mindset for the average person yeah no And this is no disrespect to the Olympic athletes. No, it
0: shows, but and it's an old. I will say it's an older study. I think it was done in the early two thousands. I'll have to look it up afterwards, and I'll link it up on the show notes for anybody that uh, uh, that 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 is that is interested. But the the basis of it. Was trying to evaluate that risk-taking proposition, Correct. right? If we could Correct. give you something that would guarantee—I think the, the, way they get, the way they word it was guarantee a medal, an Olympic medal—and you knew that you—and you knew that you would die within the next year or some sort of short-term time frame—would you take it? It's like seventy or eighty percent. Would say yeah. yes, yeah. And once again, it kind of goes to the mindset, and that's not to say that that's good or bad. That's a different podcast for a different time. Totally. But in terms of when we look at athletes that have. Had cupping, that have had needling, that have had, you know, joint manipulation, KT tape, you know, whatever, and they're kicking ass out in the Olympics. The Winter Olympics are going to come around, you know, very, very soon. This is going to be the case again. We always have to realize that that's a really special group of people that are, that are, that have just a different risk taking proposition and professional proposition as opposed to the vast majority of the listeners out here. Yeah.
1: And their biology is different than your biology and what your day looks like too. Very true. They, even you, like you could do a workout that would have me on, you know, like I'd be on the floor for a week. (laughs) Right now, like I am so deconditioned as a new father right now. Like, oh my God, I can't even imagine... Uh, you know doing the incline right now i was about to say you're gonna turn down my incline invite well bro dude so i i, I just did the virtual boston last saturday uh, yeah. after I, i'm pretty sure i've been training like eight miles a week for a few months now and just got up and ran a marathon <laughs> last week and the last 10k was so just not pretty it was uh, there was a lot of cramping and uh, not nice feelings
0: we're uh, the worst purveyors of our own advice right Are yeah the worst don't listen to leaders? anything <laughs> i say okay uh, we thought we, we i set this up as we were going to talk about modalities because i love shooting the shit with you on this talked about dry kneeling talked about graston yes third
1: one is nat's choice <sighs> Can, i, I want to talk about this because it's something i see all the time people ask me about it and i think it's the dumbest goddamn thing i've ever seen in my life uh thanks joe rogan Uh, the so right. Have you seen Oh God. (laughs) Yes. So describe physically what it looks like first. It is, uh, I I would like to say that if you, if you cut an H in half and you made it out of foam and the flat part is down and the arms of it are up, it's, I think, original use, as the name implies, so right, spelled P-S-O, is to put compression into the psoas muscle which is your hip flexor um am i describing this yeah according to how you think about it uh it's been on joe rogan it's all over instagram it's all over the socials i can't go a day without seeing it on instagram and uh i feel like it's the idea is that you'll lay on it face down face down well, not necessarily now. The uses I see now are that, you know, you, you lay on it face up, and it's a decompression tool. It helps get into your glutes. Oh, They're Expanding the use case. They've literally, uh, and you know, they've done a 180 on it. Um, <laughs> the psoas muscle, uh, f- for anyone listening, uh, is a muscle that's so deep, it's, it's <laughs> against your pelvis, pretty much. Uh, it's way back there. It's behind very large blood vessels. It's behind your intestines. There's a lot of sensitive, sensitive uh, internal organs that are right there. So the idea that you're going to lay on a piece of foam, get past all of that, and target one specific muscle is obnoxious. For a layperson to do that. For a that doesn't have any that, background in anatomy. That doesn't have you know thousands of hours of training in three-dimensional anatomy. Um, Even if you had that knowledge, it's like the idea that (laughs) I had a a friend describe it this way. It's like the idea that you would fill up a thousand uh, balloons with water, put them in a bathtub, press on the top one and think you're going to get this one balloon at the bottom of the tub. Mm, That is a good analogy. You're just going to move so many things around. You're not going to compress the right thing. Huh uh you're going to catch all this other stuff and you're going to feel something. Hell yeah, you're going to feel something. Yeah, cuz
0: you're compre- you're compressing because your internal you're, organs. Yeah,
1: you're compressing your colon, you know, or your <laughs> appendix. So yeah, there's going to be a response. <laughs> I just I see stuff like this and I'm like this is best used, you know, to burn it for warmth or something. I I, I, I if you work for this company, I'm I accept your ire. Uh, because <laughs> i feel like you're wasting people's money <laughs> they're not going to be
0: call- they're not going to be calling me anytime soon uh asking
1: to sponsor the podcast no 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 you uh you're sponsored by like the tiger claw or something so, i don't know
0: <laughs> i don't have any sponsors man I, I know, you know, I know what i intentionally when i started the podcast i i made a commitment that i wouldn't take on any sponsorships the objective so so yeah. i could do stuff like this yeah. so i could bring somebody on and they could say no, this is bullshit cuz if you have sponsors, what or I think what people don't understand is when you have a show or a piece of media that is monetized through sponsorship and you're looking for sponsors, those people will look at that content and set and 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 try to create a case against sponsoring you. So for whatever reason I said something bad about carbohydrate supplementation or something like that. A gel company would never come out and sponsor me, right? Yeah. So I just wanted the freedom to say, and my guests to say kind of whatever the hell they wanted to, and the result of that is no sponsorships.
1: Well, you're a low-carb training guy. I can talk about that.
0: That's one of my most popular episodes, by the way. I told you this. (laughs) Shout
1: out to Jeff Browning. I love you, Jeff. He's a good guy. We disagree, but he's a good dude. Yes, I the thing i'll say about any of these these things like but so right or whatever else it's not that you can't get some effect and it might not be helpful for you but it's just going to be short term and you have to take it for what it is like it's a thing that might make you feel better for now and you can use it before or after a workout plug that into everything else and just understand what you're doing just if you can save more hours in your day, more days in your year training by being just a little bit smarter and not using this stuff as a standby. I, I think that's the proper path. I, I just won't be more judgmental than that, I guess.
0: Uh, I I had a feeling that's what you were going to guess, or that's what you were going to pick out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with this mustache, uh, I don't know what the, you know, promotional materials will, will show, but I have a, a bit of a Ted Lasso mustache right now. So, I'll just use a Ted Lasso quote, and that's to be curious and not judgmental, <laughs> which I think is a, a misattributed Walt Whitman quote. I don't know if he ever said that.
0: I think, I think in this case, it's be, be curious and then you can be judgmental. not <laughs> judge the shit out of people when they're wrong. All right, man. We're going to let you go. That was fun. Uh, appreciate you coming on. I always appreciate you fixing me and you yeah. fixing the athletes I've sent to you over years.
1: Yeah, I always appreciate the opportunity. I, I understand what's on the line for other people uh, because it, it is for me too. I'm a very cranky person when I can't run. <laughs> <laughs> Do you as, know it? <laughs> as evidenced by the last several months in our house. Yeah, that's right, man. Right. How can people get a hold of you if you want them
0: to get a hold of you?
1: you know, I just stick down my website because I'm kind of doing a rebrand. Um, but you can email me directly at natcollinspt@gmail.com at or and i'm serious about this especially if you work with SoRight, right you can call my cell phone nice things or unhappy things 719-357-7875 i seriously would love to get voice messages very bold anything that. in the show Holy i would cow. i would love it that's the I'd first ask.
0: that's the first for this podcast
1: i read a book by an author that uh, was uh, one of the more inspirational books i think i've ever read about just being open and, and and being direct about life and i please educate me if there's something i need to know or if you're happy about something i said i would love to hear it directly i don't want to say something about somebody that's not in the room and they can't really defend themselves so
0: call i have a feeling you're gonna get some so rights like sent to your house next week by somebody who's listening i hope hope they send a
1: letter that says use this and see that you are so wrong
0: ah there you go brilliant all right man thanks i'm gonna
1: leave it at the pun all
0: right folks there you have it there you go. Much thanks to Nat for coming on the podcast today and indulging all of the questions about these various modalities and the history of them. As you guys can tell, Nat just tells it like it is. And if that last little segment on the so Right is of any indication, I've always appreciated his pull no punches approach to things. And speaking of pulling no punches, this podcast has never had and will never have any types of sponsorships or advertisements on it. And part of the reason is, is so we can talk about things like the so Right just like that in this completely honest and unadulterated fashion. So if you do like this podcast, you can do one of two or maybe even both if you are so inclined things to help me out here and help this podcast out. First off is go and leave a rating or review on Apple podcasts. That helps the podcast out a lot. It also means a lot to me personally. And the second thing is, is if coaching is an option for you for whatever your 2022 goals are hit me up on social media. I would love to connect you with one of our CTS coaches, or if I'm the right coach for you, I would love to work uh, with you in 2022 and beyond. I always love making those connections. And I know everybody out there is starting to get their calendars in line because lottery season is right around the corner. You can also check all of our coaching packages out at www.trainright.com. The link to that is in the show notes either one of those. If you do either one of them, it would mean a lot to me and it helps this show out tremendously. All right, that's it for today. Appreciate the heck out of everybody listening. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.